Welcome to Growing Your Financial Advisor Practice Podcast by Snap Projections, episode 44. I'm your host, Pavel Bramensky, and my goal is to interview experts to provide you with insights, strategies, and actionable tactics that you can start applying to grow your financial advisor practice today. For more information, head over to snapprojections.com slash podcast. Now, let me introduce today's guest. Today's guest is Yvonne Martin Morrison. Yvonne, a CFP, is a financial planner with Raymond James Limited's Retirement and Financial Planning Group. She's a winner of the Plan Plus Global Financial Planning Award Canada 2019. Yvonne provides timely advice planning services and tax intelligence while still finding time to author educational planning materials, presentations, and publications for the benefit of Raymond James advisors and their clients. She's guided by the premise that planning, no matter how good, is useless until it is effectively implemented. She strives for dynamic financial strategies that are relevant and real. Her main expertise lies in serving the advanced retirement tax and estate business owners, operators, and executives. Yvonne has worked in the financial services since 1993, building her capacity in integrated financial planning and retirement income planning. Prior to joining Raymond James, she was a partner in a boutique wealth management firm. She worked directly with clients with a specialized focus on wealth planning for business owners and athletes. Yvonne, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yvonne, I'm really excited to have you on. I'm, I'm hoping we can geek out a little bit on some of the aspects of retirement planning and accumulation and things, uh, all planning things, more technical planning things. But I'm going to jump right in. So tell me, and I gave it a little bit away in the intro, but tell me about yourself. So what do you typically do in your position right now and who do you serve? My position primarily focuses on helping deliver comprehensive integrated financial plans for clients at the request of their advisors. And then the aspect of the role that is complementary to that is to also build the capacity of advisors to deliver more investment planning themselves through the work that they do day to day with their clients. Uh, so it's it's about building that resource. And throughout Raymond James, we have a number of other resources that we collaborate with, including legal, tax, and otherwise. So it's, it's definitely something different and interesting every day. Okay, so you've been an advisor in the past. And uh, again, I gave it a little bit away in the intro. But so tell me why what you do right now, why does this work matter to you? Why do you like doing this? Because I, I know that you're really enjoying what you're doing. We had a couple of conversations before the podcast, but why does this work matter to you? For me, the greatest benefit is having that focus on pure planning. And any advisor listening to this is going to understand when I point out that being an advisor is more more than practice management. There are so many different hats that you wear in delivering your service to your clients, building your ability to deliver it, building out your team, etc. It's very demanding. And I loved it. It was very rewarding. But I could see, for me, it was time for change. And being in this role at Raymond James, where it is pure planning, advisors come to me having laid the groundwork, having built the relationship with their client. And I'm invited in to bring a more integrated, comprehensive approach to their finances. For me, that's, you know, that's what I'm passionate about is that when you get your affairs organized and aligned and working well with what you're doing day to day, which matches your behavior, then you've, you know, taken it to a whole new level. And so for me to do that day in and day out, I get better and better every plan I do. And, and I just get to bring that focus to that level of planning. You get to do the fun stuff, right? <laughs> the technical fun stuff. I do. And then, and I mentioned that working with advisors, there's so much satisfaction in knowing that I haven't done just one plan. When I work with advisors and they are better able to run their own investment planning projections, implement strategies, clients on, uh, on track, I know that I've helped a whole bunch of clients at once. And uh, there's, there's some scalability 
flexibility and efficiency in that that's very satisfying as well. Absolutely. I mean, through working with advisors, you actually tend to, you know, you are helping clients, right? So you basically have greater impact. So that's why how we think about, uh, about funding as well here at Sun Projections. But tell me also about your early days, right? Because you started in the industry a while ago. And what was the trigger at the time? Uh, you know, the market was different, the situation was different. But what was the one thing that basically brought you to the industry in the first place? You know, before I came into the financial services industry, I was someone who was intrigued about how how money grew. And that's that's really all I could say. My knowledge was not high. I hadn't been exposed to a lot of finance. And I started working part-time while I was in school in a financial services firm. And when I started to learn about, well, honestly, I'll, I'll share a story, which is when I sat down with an advisor and watched that advisor learn more about the client situation and start making connections to the services and the tools that the advisor had access to and how that could take the client's financial world to another level. I was blown away. My my question to myself was, how does he know that? How, how did he make those connections and how can I learn that? And to me, it seemed like such a huge universe. How would you even begin to start? And that's what began my journey was that curiosity of how do you make these connections and make this work? Excellent. Wow. This is excellent. I really like that, the, the curiosity aspect here. So Let's talk a little bit more about your work with advisors and clients. So I think you're probably going to experience different levels of knowledge when it comes to advisors Mm -hmm. and different types of clients as well. So how do you typically work with advisors? I mean, we can start getting maybe a little bit more um, into our processes, but, you know, let's start with, you know, how do you help advisors and, and how do you help their clients, part of their team? The one thing I like to know is to spend time with advisors, just like you spend time with your clients. Tell me a little bit about where you're at. What have you been doing? What's working for you? What are your frustrations? What's your experience been? And that helps me approach their interest more with more focus, more direct response to what they need and where they're at. And that way, uh, it's not overwhelming. And I've been where they are, wherever they are. I was the brand new rookie advisor who didn't even know how to fill in a form. And here I am today where I deal with a level of complexity that is, is not matched by very many. So anywhere I've been, anywhere along those lines, and and dealt with those challenges. So meeting them exactly where they are and matching them tools and the resources that they need that is going to empower them to take the next step. And it's not about becoming the best financial planner that every single advisor needs to become. It's about becoming a better advisor today and a little bit better tomorrow so that at one point you're sitting at your desk going, well, I'm not where I used to be and I'm on a journey. I'm not yet where I'm going to be. And so joining them and coming alongside is, I think, very important and bringing the resources and the tools. And one of them is using a software like yours, which can be a great tool for someone who is wanting to learn, but maybe doesn't even have the confidence yet. And it does so much for you. <laughs> interesting. Okay. Yeah, this is really interesting. So so let's focus on what is really the most valuable of part of, of involving you in the work with an advisor and, and the client, right? Because is this, you're, you're brought in in a specific situation and the advisor says, you know what, this com- the, the complexity is basically beyond what I can handle, but I need somebody else. And, you know, luckily in their firm, in your firm, they have you, right? Or this is kind of more basic approach. You know, I don't know about different tools. Maybe you can help me the tools and then advisor can actually uh, move along and proceed with the client without your involvement. But I want to focus on the most valuable part, right? Like where where do you think across all the different cases you've seen, where do you feel you can add most value to what kind of engagements advisors is working with the client? Well, for me personally, 
and the cool thing is about my role is that I'm part of a team of planners across Canada, and we are not siloed into particular regions, nor are we even siloed into particular specialties. We really are an integrated team. So, you know, we have different interests and we can lean on each other for the strengths uh, when we're working on a plan that, that we've taken on. But we can also hand off a plan request to another member of the team who might be better suited to it. So I sort of answer your question a little bit roundabout because that leads me to say, so when it comes to me as a personal planner, one of the great things about being in Calgary is that we are in a very entrepreneurial city. And so my my strength is working with people who are either top-level executives executives or owners of their and operators of their own business and the complexity that comes from having assets that mm-hmm. are growing and building for a, a time where they may or may not retire a transition and how do you convert those into sources of retirement income how do you convert those into something useful after you spend all this time building so that's where the intangible part for an advisor is they realize that there's no situation that comes to them that they have to back away from they get to facilitate dealing with the questions a client has without having to be the expert on the topic. And a lot of advisors keep their work narrow because they are afraid of making a mistake or missing something important or just, you know, just don't have that confidence that they should be in an area where they're not an expert. And all of those are very valid concerns. But when you know you've got people behind you where you can go, you know what, I'm going to invite in one of the people on our team who can probably be more resourceful to you on this and answer some of your queries. A great spot for an advisor to be in. Right. So I can see a lot of benefits to the advisor. I mean, basically they can go, they have resources, they have got the confidence and, and the guidance to basically grow outside of their maybe niche specialization to be more rounded advisor. So that's that's definitely a great aspect of that. So so you mentioned about the approach of working with advisor. You start with a conversation about actually focus on advisor, right? Which is great because advisor is your client initially, right? Yeah. So this is great. But how do you build this relationship to the point that you know you want they want to bring you in? Because I can see you're you're maybe not more you're maybe probably not a competition to them because you don't have your own book of business. I mean you used to be an advisor which is excellent because it brings it basically gives you the insight and you've been in their shoes essentially but but it maybe not a competitor but maybe maybe a nuisance let's put it this way because you know they could say for example let me stick to my to what i know it, it's worked for me for the last 20 years or however long they work they have been in the business why would i bring you know how do you sell basically the your yourself so you can be part of their team right because you know it's going to probably take longer right it's going to the, yeah, they're going to spend more time you you probably will be in front of their clients as well, you know, what are the, the, the three things that you tell them, if you bring me, X is going to happen? Yes. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head, which is they know that I have been where they are. And so I'm very respectful of their role and their relationship with their clients. And they get that message early on in conversation. And as you described, my role is also building educational material. So just like I build relationship clients in years past, I build relationships with advisors who are around me and they get to get to watch me. They get to listen to me. They get to size me up. And uh, I don't take it as an insult that they're initially cautious or reserved, built their business from a lot of blood, sweat and tears. And to invite somebody in to step into that relationship and potentially influence it positively or negatively, mm-hmm. you, you better have the confidence that you're bringing in a positive situation for your clients. So being able to communicate over time 
time. And then you naturally have advisors who are your first adopters. You know, they hear the message, you're a planner, you're here to help me plan. Great. I've got five clients in mind. What can we do? And so when you have lots of advisors around, those who are more reserved get to watch your your more keen folks who who test drive the, the planning services and then they get to see and hear what the results are. But honestly, the I think the very important thing to do is to open communication with the advisor. As you can imagine, having that initial conversation about their client, they get the message right away. Do I know what I'm talking about? Am I respectful of what, what they've already done uh, laying the foundation? Am I asking the questions that they know their client will respond to? They know their client better than I do. And when I ask about what's, what's happening with your client, what are their concerns? So what I'm hearing, you know, when I reframe, this is what I'm hearing, this is what's going on. They understand that I understand. And so their confidence builds and away you go. So the planning process is ideal for building this process of planning with advisors and their clients. Take them through a well-developed process, their Mm -hmm. confidence, their understanding, and their um, willingness to move forward is there. So it's important not to miss any steps. Otherwise, you're trying to fast track. That's that's the worst situation is having an advisor come with an urgent request. And the truth is planning shouldn't be urgent. And uh, so that's part of the, my message right from the beginning. How do we start building this for you, for your clients? And then you get to come when we can take you through a well-developed methodical process. There's no way to rush this. And it would be wrong. You will not get the results you want. Makes a lot of sense. So I'm going to ask one more question around the process because, <laughs> because sometimes, I mean, I, I see how the industry works. Sometimes you have, we have advisors, you may have this centralized planning department and certain dealers had this kind of approach for a long time. But I, I've seen a lot of issues with this approach, right? Because even, for example, so, uh, things that uh, entering data, reviewing data with a client for advisor, you, when you are not basically taking all the data, shipping all the data to an internal, maybe centralized planning department, and then getting the plan back where the advisor doesn't really know how to even present the plan, what's important. I mean, in a lot of cases, it didn't work. And, and it doesn't work because A, it takes a long time, like sometimes the turnaround time has been months, what, I, what I've heard, private conversations with other advisors. And there is a very little context. So the advisor doesn't really know why the plan was built in a certain way. Uh, there is, I think there is probably the communication is maybe not the best or or especially if it spans over a num- number of months. I mean, how do you keep this, this information current? You can't, right? So, and it sounds like you are able to pull this off. So, so I just want to ask one more question. So at, at what point advisors should actually reach out to you? Is this at the beginning of the relationship with the client or maybe when they basically get to the point that you know they they realize that they're just in a little bit deeper waters that they're comfortable swimming what is the optimal point when when they should be reaching out to you in the first place i think the optimal point to reach out to me is number one when there is a major transition being contemplated and there is an interest and an awareness on the part of the client that they need something more mm-hmm. and it can be the advisor's work to raise that awareness and raise that desire to go forward, or the client may come to the advisor with that request. I'm totally comfortable coming into a situation where it's a new client, new advisor, but there's challenges with that, which is it, it is more ideal when there's an established relationship between the client and the advisor. The trust has grown. Uh, there's been some uh, planning taking place and reviews and updates and, and clients are seeing results. 
Mm-hmm. And they're seeing that it's in alignment with what their goals are and what they want to accomplish. So I'm bringing it to a whole new level and there's already a foundation established. I mean, I can come in earlier, mm-hmm. uh, but it does create some challenges with communication, with expectations, et cetera. And it, being aware of that is good. So yes, I would say that coming in after the relationships established, when there's an awareness and a desire to move forward, and then being able to, one of the things about sales and about advice that are very similar is that you want to respond to people at the pace that they're ready to go at. So if somebody is keen to get going, they've got all their information ready, they're responding to every request for, you know, even the introductory conversations. Well, you know, raise your energy level and match that. Someone else who's got a few questions, you know, they've got a lot on the go, but this is going to unfold at a a much slower process. Allowing your process to adapt to that is important too. Makes a lot of sense. So let's maybe cover just more tactically. Do you present the plans when you're with an advisor or do you educate the advisor and have advisor present the plan? You basically are there to support them or do you both? Uh, I do both. I do both. As you can imagine from chatting with me, I am the kind of person who's very comfortable presenting the plan. I present to the advisor first, and uh, that's kind of our run through to make sure that they're comfortable with everything that's in the plan. Because the idea is this plan is for you and your client. I'm I'm going to present this. Uh, we're going to confirm that everything's accurate. The ideas are are welcome. The strategies make sense. But guess what? Who's implementing the advisor? And and that's back to you introducing me, which is what is the point of planning if you're not implementing the strategies and solutions? And there's a variety of statistics out there and studies that have been done. And bad news is a lot of planning, people don't even want to plan in the first place. And when the planning is done, it's not implemented. The majority is not implemented, which just makes me sick because I love what a well-structured plan can do in any area of your life, let alone finances. And the cool thing about financial planning is, is it really integrates personally, professionally, financially, what you are trying to accomplish. So it's integrating and aligning that and moving it forward in a planned out methodical way. But if it's not implemented, I wasted my time you know, we we had some pleasant conversation, but yeah, I'm not adding that much value if that's what's happening. Your results oriented. So uh, you just mentioned that there's sometimes this objection that clients don't want planning. What do you think about this objection? Oh, very reasonable. There's experience uh, behind that and can be a conception that we can prove to be a misconception, meaning that might have been your experience and what you learned before. We want to introduce something new that you haven't experienced before, and we have the confidence that you are going to see benefit. And uh, again, getting to, so what is your objection behind that? What is What has been your experience and what has frustrated you? What has been the result? Sometimes it's that this is too hard. Mm-hmm. And my response to that is anything worth doing is going to have a level of difficulty and challenge. And when you first start anything new that's challenging, it is going to be hard. But the more you do it, the more often you do it, the more bite-sized pieces you take out of it so that, you know, the, the eat an elephant analogy, if you want to eat an elephant, it's one bite at a time. If you, if you approach planning in those kinds of ways, suddenly some of those objections begin to fall away and people get excited about the opportunity. Plus, you start sharing stories of where this has worked. You know, I know somebody just like you. I know an advisor like you. I know a client like you. They had similar concerns, similar issues. 
we started the planning process. This is what it looked like. This is what they experienced. And these are the results they enjoyed. And there's nothing like having an advisor come back and go, yeah, you know that thing you did for that client last week? Can you do the same thing for their business partner, for their colleague, for um, another one of my clients who's just like them? And you're like, ha. So people are excited about what this can do for them. Right. So it basically tells me that there could be a number of different objections. Some some people may be afraid of something new. Some people may have uh, had uh, not very good relation. Well, not very good experience in the past to somebody else. In some cases, for example, we're seeing this that advisors are basically not trained to position the value of financial planning first. So because I think probably, you know, do you want a financial plan is probably the one of the worst questions you can actually ask a client, right? I mean, you should <laughs> be leading with the value. <laughs> Excellent. So I think this is going to be a really good segue to th- for us to think about, you know, just hopefully we can dig in a little bit into your process. So on a high level, how do you think about financial planning? Is this, you know, is there is a concept of planning, you know, the plans and and, the, and planning process? And, and what are your thoughts on that? The simplest way I can describe it is the, the purpose of a plan is to take a vision, which comes from a wish. I, I wish I had this in my life. I wish I was accomplishing this. I wish I could see this happen. Whatever your wish is, turning that into a vision and, and giving it some some measurables so that you've got more of a goal beginning to materialize. The plan is about how am I going to accomplish it? Here's where I am. Here's where I want to be. There's this huge chasm. How do I bridge it? And that's what a plan should and, and could do for anyone. Excellent. So let's let's start diving into your process a little bit. So let's say you're approaching a little bit more complex situation. What is your financial planning process? And and you can you can talk very technically about different different aspects because I mean of course there's financial planning process. You know, there's FP Canada, and there's uh, there, there's a process that you need to follow. But there are a lot of I would say aspects that some people, some planners would apply in their practices, and some people wouldn't. So again, what what are your process steps? What do you do first? What uh, how do you think about it? You know, what tools does you use? Everything from Excel to planning software. I'm really curious because you know, hopefully, I mean, you're doing some, you're doing a lot of planning. You're doing a lot of planning, especially in a complex uh, situations. So I'm really curious to to see how you're progressing through this without being lost in the details, right? Because that could be one of the issues for a lot of people. Yes. You know, that you brought up exactly one of the biggest challenges when I first took this role, because when you're presented with a request for a plan, previously, I deal with a request for a plan within the context of having worked with the client directly. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize how much, how many shortcuts there are to, to getting into the initial analysis of dealing with a plan request. So in my role, it's very important that I avoid getting lost in the details right at the beginning. You know, who who is this person and what are they trying to accomplish? And I've had some great planners on my team give me some guidance about that. And the key thing is to really focus in on what is it that the client wants to accomplish. And so I've focused in on that directly with the client where, you know, we have an initial conversation with the advisor and then very quickly after that, a conversation with the client. But I don't necessarily need that, but I do need that information from the advisor. Tell me what are the key issues that they want to focus on? What are they most concerned about? And then there's that data collection. You know, give me as much information as you can about their financial situation, their lifestyle, their circumstances. And so again, it helps when advisors understand why I'm asking. So behind uh, my whole process, I need to be able to understand why I'm doing 
doing what I'm doing. And I need to be able to communicate that simply and understandably so that I have buy-in and we move that process through smoothly. So understanding and that initial data that's going to help me focus in on what I'm doing and why. And I need, for me as a planner, I need to have a picture in my mind of who this person is or who this couple is or who these people are this, that, that I'm preparing this plan for. And, and that is going to prompt me to build in essence. And this is, I have a great Excel spreadsheet that a member of my team built and it, it creates a dashboard. And we just, we collect information on key areas. And if anybody's done planning, actually even investment advising, you know that you have a stack of documentation. You've got a couple of basic forms where you collect for your compliance or etc. But it doesn't take long before you have tons of documentation. So I like to build the dashboard and collect all of the initial information and then analyze that. And that's just your basic analysis. New questions does this bring up? What new information do I need? And so collecting that on an Excel spreadsheet that you can just see it at a glance. And then moving into that initial analysis, I actually don't get into the software until I'm confident I have all of the information I need. And this is where the brain power of planning comes in. And I think it would help a lot of advisors who are worried about getting in too far or generating outputs from software that they don't understand because their level of expertise hasn't met the potential of the software is be very settled on what you are comfortable addressing and identify that at the beginning. So for a client, I'm often doing retirement income. We're developing a plan. They're contemplating retirement. They're at retirement. And we're trying to figure out where are the best sources of income? When are we going to draw on it? And I get really clear about that. And so gathering all of the information that relates to that. And then I immediately start jotting down the issues that will potentially come to bear. Mm -hmm. And that's before I enter any data into any software. So I'm already thinking about these are the issues. Here's the person. Here's the goal. Here's the focus. Here's what the advisor has equipped me with. Okay, now I know I'm, I'm ready to go. And then when you start entering your data, that's mm -hmm. the best part. You're like, oh yeah, forgot about that. Good question. Or have I got this buried somewhere? And so you, you're mining information as you build out your software. I can't imagine anymore doing the work I do at the level I do without the software tools that I have. When I think back to starting, you know, in the 90s, taking financial planning courses, yeah, I did it on paper. Well, I remember getting my first little simple software program going, hallelujah. So it's a great tool because it actually focuses you again to another level. So if you think of it like a funnel, you're, you've got the whole universe of, you know, thousands of options and considerations, and you've got to get past that quickly yeah. and funnel into what are the key issues facing client, their plan, what are the obstacles, what are the opportunities, and away you go. So the software then will start generating output and probably blow the mind of people. But when I start analyzing, by the time I'm at the end of my software analysis, I have 12 to 20 scenarios I have built into the software and considered. That is because you must isolate your strategies, you must isolate your issues and not combine them into one plan. Because very often I'll look at a situation and go, I know four or five things that are probably going to make the biggest difference. I could run a scenario, those four or five solutions built in, but then you don't know what the correlation is and the impact of each one. So in my process, I isolate every issue, every strategy, and I analyze it separately and measure it. And then you combine it and see how they work together and complement or conflict with one another. Because sometimes you can see things so well 
in combination with a couple of other strategies. That's what software lets me do quickly. Uh, And as I say quickly, you're probably adding up the hours. So, you know, an advisor working in an investment practice is not going to do this level of focus planning. But the fact is, you can run a projection and a couple of scenarios of what if they downsize? What if they commute their pension instead of uh, taking the pension benefit? What if the markets go sideways and we don't get the returns we're projecting? Those are things that any advisor could and should do so that you're ready for the what ifs. And and I don't even mean that negatively, the positives as well. Well, what if things are better? Oh, we have a tax problem. Oh, well, isn't that great? How do we deal with those? What are, what are some things we can do in advance that we'll see the, we'll see the signs coming? Sometimes just playing with the numbers gives you a chance of, oh, this is what I could look for. This is what I should I should highlight and pinpoint. So yeah, you can using tools like that, you can focus in as narrow or as broad as you want, and you can start collecting ideas and then narrowing down solutions and strategies that work. And you can compare them to alternatives and measure the benefit. That's probably the biggest challenge for anyone giving advice is mm-hmm. why is your idea any better than any other idea? Better have an answer, better document it. And that's the key to delivering a report that can be used so that when someone has that presentation and they love the ideas, when they go down the street and Uncle Joe crosses their path, they're like, I've got this great retirement plan. Oh, I'm going to tell you the best thing you should be doing. Whatever you've just been told, make sure that they told you this, this, and this. Well, they didn't tell me that, that, and that. Why not? And so to protect your clients from being blown by whatever wind comes their way, you need to develop a plan that considered alternatives and explained why they were not going forward. It doesn't have to be everything, but a few ideas so that they know, yeah, this is pretty thorough. This has had, this has run through more than one assessment. So I hope I answered your question about the process, but that's where we, when we get those outputs and those those software results that allow me to really dig into analysis. And I think that's one of the challenges for a lot of advisors is they think an output mm-hmm. is the end. Yes. For me, that's the beginning. Oh, finally, now I've got some real meat to chew on here. And even if you're an advisor who is wanting to keep things relatively narrow, very investment focused or very risk management focused, whatever your specialty is, you can still take those outputs and analyze that means. Like, what does that mean? Right. It, based on my area of specialty, this is what I need to focus on. And so then you develop your recommendations from the results of the analysis, which the software has done so much more efficiently than I could ever do. You know, I had Excel spreadsheets for years where I would run my analysis through there. And I still use Excel spreadsheets, but there's nothing like someone else's software where they've combined all of that, all of that together. So once you get that analysis complete and those outputs collected, then you start doing your own calculations, you know, plug for your software. If the next step of your of your software is to be able to start comparing those scenarios and producing an additional output instead of me having to do it manually, that would be awesome. (laughs) But at any rate, when you start comparing options, solutions, and strategies, then you start measuring the differences and you consider the tangible and the intangible benefits, advantages, disadvantages, where they're strong, probabilities, et cetera. You might not get into that with the clients, but they'll know that you've done the work. And same with advisors. They may (laughs) may have no desire to know how in-depth I go but they know I've gone in depth and we put some measurables to it. And ultimately you want to identify the value of the plan. So sometimes people just want to get organized. They, they just, you know, they're, they're a straightforward plan. I'm not going to analyze 20 different scenarios if someone's goal is, 
I just want to know where the money should come from and when. And I just want to be organized. I don't know what I have. You'd be amazed how many people in a very strong financial position don't even know it. They've just done smart things over long periods of time, making good decisions over and over and over. They've been consistent, but they don't really know what got. So getting it all organized, structured, and developing a strategy for how they're going to convert it into retirement income, we're set. Someone else will come and they've done similar things, but they're like, I want to create certainty. I want to know that whatever happens, I've got a plan that can withstand and be bulletproof from this risk, that risk, and the other risk. Well, we're going to analyze that very differently. And the plan is going to be a lot more robust. And there's going to be more levels to that than than the other kind of client. So you customize your report based on what they've asked for. And I'm just finishing up a longer report than I would otherwise want to deliver to most clients because that's what the client can handle. That's the other one. If somebody says they're worried about a thousand things, but you know that they um, they can absorb information on a much narrower focus, give them a 100-page report. Focus in on what their biggest concerns are. Try and group things together. Again, customizing your report to who the client is. And that's, again, where the advisor often has to guide me. So tell me about this person. If I haven't met them, are they a numbers person? Or do they like to keep things simple and straightforward? And so I, I guide my reporting and my presenting of ideas around that as well. This is a wonderful response to my question. And you know what? <laughs> I, I'm going to make a couple of comments because, I mean, this is a really wonderful way of, of thinking about, about, about planning for so many reasons. I mean, you mentioned that there's a couple of points I want to touch on. First of all, you mentioned this, that some people who are in great financial position have no don't know how well or you may, they may have basic questions about their financial position they don't know where they are and I, I just came back from uh, the IFP symposium last week in Edmonton and there was uh, I was listening to a presentation on estate uh, planning there was an individual that she was helping a family with a net worth of one billion this is a family that for example they have a fifty thousand dollars of art budget per month just this is just the art budget that family was concerned about running out of money right so uh, we're we're talking about we're talking about high end so into high level of uh, net worth and and still the concern was you know are we going to be running out of money i mean i mean are we going to be effectively able to transition our wealth so so again no, no surprises about uh, about a lot of people who even have a lot of assets a lot of money they they simply don't know where they are now in terms of your process i mean starting with the goals and the person and, and the dashboard that's that's fantastic right because that's basically you're keeping information right in front of you before you dive into the details and you as you said earlier and hopefully we'll talk about the, the, some of the strategies as well, but you could be doing 10,000 different strategies. You very quickly have to isolate the you know, first maybe five, 10, maybe 20, depending how much time you have, depending on what's the value of the plan to the client, and you have to sort of dive to it, then you can create those uh, different scenarios. Mention software. I mean, you, just, you, know, you mentioned that you use snap projections, that's fine. Is there any other software, planning software that you use? I'm, I'm really curious to see what other tools do you use. You can mention them. I'll have to know as well. Sure. Well, for me, and because of our firm, a lot of different advisors use different software. So it's very valuable for me to be knowledgeable about what they're using. And so we, within our firm, we have uh, access to, I'm just thinking, there's got to be four or five different softwares that I can use on a regular basis. And then there's different tools and calculators and 
all kinds of great stuff there as well. So yeah, I use, I'm comfortable with NaviPlan. I'm comfortable with Razor, uh, comfortable with Concept Toolkit. What else am I thinking? Those are probably the main ones. And then Snap Projection. The funny thing is, is I, I didn't know what Snap Projections was. Uh, and I was invited into an advisor's office very early in, with my work here. And that's when I saw the, saw the you know, we, we were looking at a situation. I'm like, what is this software? This is, I like how this is all showing up here and how these uh, reports are being generated. But I like how this is all in front of you. Anyway, you know, we, the, the conversation started off, I go with my life. And then eventually got a more formal introduction to your software. But each, the, the neat thing is, is the more you learn about different software, you the more you learn about where its strengths are and where it shines. And so I like your software for that planning process and that implementable plan that's being developed and being able to run those different scenarios and compare them. Gather the relevant information without gathering too much information. But yeah, so lots of lots of different software I'm very comfortable with for different purposes. Yeah, and I think you mentioned the very important things. And first of all, thank you for the platform the software. But uh, the other thing is you mentioned the other software as well. And I think you it's really important to know there's no one size fits all, right? There, there are different software packages and some of them are more comprehensive. Some of them are geared for different purposes. What we wanted to do is just to basically, as you said earlier, we want to be effective with, with planning. We want to make basically planning effective. So you came up with the, the concept of six most common financial planning questions, right? So there could be thousands of different questions, but there's you know, five or six that typically are basically on people's minds. And we can basically, once you know exactly what you're trying to answer, you're not going to be basically left in the dark. However, you can basically build a plan and you can very quickly copy uh, copy that plan, make one, one change. For example, we're for withdrawals earlier, right? And you can see what is the impact on the plan. And I think you mentioned this earlier that you wish to see more functionality around it. And, and that definitely, that's something that's part of one of the areas that we want to explore a little bit better. Because the hard part is that you can be comparing on different attributes. And when you talk to different advisors, some of them would want to compare net worth, some of them estate values. And uh, you know there is really hundreds of different attributes where you could be comparing and maybe changing the software, right? So we want to make this process still manageable so advisors can, even if they don't have a lot, uh, a lot of time, they can still deliver valuable plan to advisors. But maybe this is a good segue to our more technical conversation about let's let's talk about withdrawals in retirement or decumulation. We know that this is a big problem. There are a lot of people, I think, 13, according to Stats Canada, 13 older as of 2016 in Canada. So one third, uh, more than one population, Canadian population, uh, and those should, those people should be thinking about retirement or maybe they're already in retirement, they're decumulating their assets. When you are approaching this kind of situation, how do you think about first addressing a question because advisor may say, well, tell me what's the most important, tell me what's the most effective way of withdrawing assets. I mean, this is the... This <laughs> yeah interesting question. What do you think about that? Let's start here. My answer is always, it depends. It depends. And the the place that I always begin when it comes to retirement income withdrawals is taxation. Mm -hmm. And you don't want tax to be the tail that is wagging the dog, but you do need to measure the impact of taxation. And I like to know not only where where the tax is today, but see those projections. I love to see number-wise and graphically represented where you can see the taxation is at a level that you're shooting for. Good to have a target. Personally, if, if I'm in around 25, if I'm working with people who are in a high tax bracket prior to to retirement. In retirement, if we can 
target at least bringing it down to a 25% range, that is where I'm shooting. And so if I'm getting close to that, there's a point where, you know, you can slow down, you know, you can stop planning. But if you're looking at a situation and someone is going into retirement at the top tax bracket and they're remaining at the top tax bracket, there's some planning to be done and it's tax planning. And so drawing those withdrawals and timing that effectively, you need to combine all of the sources and see where the order is creating the best tax benefit and the amount. And to explain how this works more practically, I had a conversation with a client presenting a plan just a short time ago. And again, an individual who had saved and built. When I first looked at their situation and looked at the numbers and the amount, I'm like, this is probably going to be like, they're just okay. And the truth was, by the time we integrated all their sources of retirement withdrawals and took into account tax planning, we turned it into a surplus situation where his only daughter was going to probably be a millionaire when her parents passed away. Because we were able to create not just retirement income, we were able to create an estate from the surplus that would not be required. But thing that he took away from our conversation that I was so glad he understood is he went from thinking of his professional corporation that was now becoming a holding company where he'd saved the majority of his assets. He'd thought of that as basically another bank account. Whenever I need money, I'm just going to go to my corporation. I'll write myself a check. The accountant will account for it when he does my tax returns. Bob's your uncle. I'm retired. And I said, no, (laughs) this is what I'm here to do. We are going to be strategic about when you make your withdrawals for the most ideal tax situation, and we're going to anticipate your needs, and we're going to even this out so that you are drawing income strategically out of your corporation, and you may be actually setting it aside in your personal savings for the future. And he said, this this is radical. (laughs) I was not prepared for this idea. He said, so I need to think differently. My corporation is a tax tool now. And I said, yes. And you've, you got the message. And so in a nutshell, that's what retirement income sources are. I use a corporation because it's a totally separate entity. But you start looking at every account. It has different characteristics. They're their own entity. And you build a complementary, I guess, a basket of what to draw and when. And you have to have knowledge. The cool thing is about something like software is there's some default set. You know, generally speaking, you start with non-registered, then you move on to registered, then you move into your sheltered accounts, generally speaking. But when you run the scenarios and go, that's a lot of tax. Mm -hmm. Can we do something? Do we need to change the order? Do we change the amounts? But if you're thinking about streamlining it, that's the approach that's going to create solutions that work over time. This is wonderful. I really like your approach because, I mean, first of all, you very quickly narrow down. If I can summarize a couple of things from the, what you said, even for myself, uh, you very quickly narrow down from that. We're, it's not about the most optimal withdrawal scenario. The question is, yeah, what are we optimizing for? And you said that, okay, let's optimize for tax first because it makes a lot of sense because typically if you, I mean, we could be optimizing, for example, for, for the estate, there, there are multiple other assets. Aspects. But you know, let's optimize tax because that typically is going to yield the best result. Because if we can minimize tax right now or defer tax or use any other vehicles to to basically not to pay the tax right now, hopefully you have deferred growth, tax deferred growth, then the, everything else is going to be probably better. It's probably going to effectively positively impact estate income in the meantime and other aspects. There is one other aspect you said. There's also a lot of conversations about CPP and OES. Did we take earlier, right? And I we kind of uh, struggle in 
internally with, with having a good answers to different advisors. Because we, for example, sometimes I would say the experienced advisors, when they look and basically say, okay, we have some default settings. And by the way, the, we, the withdrawals in SNAP basically work the way non-registered first, then RSP or RIF, then GFSA. And of course, you can modify those withdrawals because it's not about the ultimate order, it's the proportion. And then you're looking at tax rate. There are some defaults in place, but this is just the starting point. Uh, we think about it that it's 80, 90%. But the other aspect is you have to be an advisor. You have to basically bring back some of the qualitative information about the client, about their biases, about their goals, priorities. And then you can you can bring this to 100%, but you cannot basically rely on a software and just enter the data and, and think that you're doing comprehensive financial planning. That's completely wrong. And yes. it's almost it's almost <laughs> practice. So maybe I can tap to your wisdom. So how do you approach those conversations with advisors after, after this long intro? Because some of the more experienced advisors typically understand, and especially if they have experience with retirement planning, what they should be paying attention to. But if, some, for example, somebody hasn't been doing this, this kind of planning before, and maybe, or maybe they're just starting, how would you tell them, you know, what do you pay attention to first? And, and how do you approach this? You are, first of all, you can get the result for the client fairly quickly and efficiently, and you're not going to spend a lot of, you know, time, your own time, a lot of hours on that. And effectively, you can, you can help a client, you can help your practice, and you can build a better business. Totally loaded question. We, <laughs> we could chat about that one question. I, we could probably write a book on that question. That one, so I think where I would focus on answering those concerns, because you're exactly right. I have advisors who step into my office with exactly that question. You know, 30 seconds or less, Yvonne, what should I be focusing on? <laughs> and and quick, is CPP, OAS, pension, we, which pension benefit should they take? Should they this, that, the other? And you're like, hmm, okay, so I'm going to give you some principles to keep in mind when you're looking at these kinds of situations. And I love the concept of a principle because a principle is not a rule and it's not a formula. And that welcome to the financial planning, you cannot guarantee that when you do one thing, you're going to get another result. But what you can do is understand the principle of how these function together. So here's something about P and OAS as far as timing. First of all, when I started in the industry, CPP was in danger of failing. And if anybody's been around uh, the world of finance or has come in after that, there still is a persistent belief that CPP is an unreliable source of retirement income. That is actually a misconception today, even though it was an accurate conception in the 90s. It was overhauled and it was amazingly overhauled. I won't tell you the story, but I love the story of the of why CPP is one of the top pensions in the world. So first of all, is your retirement income source reliable? And that's the that's number one principle. What are you relying on for your income? CPP is going to be here. The actuaries have run the numbers. It has a guaranteed benefit for the next 70 years and they're, they're willing to put their name on it. And it has a huge amount of protection. So you can build in CPP to your retirement income projections confidence. The question is, when should I take it? Another principle is, what are your alternatives? So if CPP is a basic foundation of your income, you consider the fact that without it, you're not going to be buying groceries. Well, I think we've answered that question. You need it sooner rather than later. If it's an enhancement and you want to maximize the benefit, things to take into account. Number one, the CPP benefit decreases 
every month sooner than age 65 that you take it. Do you want to be penalized by getting it earlier? Are you are you planning to not have it for very long? Is your longevity in question? And so getting a hold of guaranteed benefits sooner rather than later because it ends when you die would be an important principle to take into account. The flip side is every month after age 65 that you wait, you get a bonus benefit for waiting. Being paid to wait can be a very nice thing, especially when you compare the alternatives. Can you earn 7 or 8% net on anything else that you're investing on a guaranteed basis? Probably not. So the guarantee is tremendously valuable. That's a principle. The guarantee is very valuable. So when you're building retirement income, weighing out some of those principles will help you again focus in on what should I be considering? I don't have to answer a thousand questions. Maybe I can answer two or three about this situation. And so those would apply to any source of retirement income. Are we looking at some considerations about the security of the resource? Are we looking at being paid to wait? Are we taking into account wanting to create some certainty sooner rather than later? And if it ultimately costs you, those might be um, things that you weigh out and prioritize. And again, that's the secret to planning. You can't have everything. So prioritize and go after that, which is most important, making sure that you've addressed the risks that have the greatest impact or the highest probability of being encountered. Wonderful. I like the principles as well. I think we call it internally core concepts. So we have some Mm -hmm. concepts a rule again it's the same meaning right so you have some things that you should uh, take into account and then depending on on the on the situation of the client you may be leaning towards one principle or one one core con- work on concept or the, or the other one right because when it comes to tax strategies i mean there were so many things you could do you could be doing charitable donations you could be doing you know so there are certain products there is products where you return capital to minimize taxation so ultimately the number of different solutions and strategies is, is i mean that that part is unlimited so we have to basically look at the principles uh weigh them, as you said, uh, against each other, determine what is important. And once you have, uh, I think Daryl Diamond in his book, uh, Retirement uh, Blueprint, is talking about layering those income streams first. And then basically, you are minimizing the the space of different solutions. You're looking at what else is there. Maybe there's only a couple of different options you could do. And at some point, you just basically end in the land of law of the, uh, well, guided by the law of diminishing returns. I mean, at some point, I mean, you could be doing more planning, but more scenarios, but it's not really going to be bringing a lot of benefit, right? So you're really planning for next you know, 30, 40 years, but you should be looking at next you know, three to five, probably much more closely, and then sort of adjusting every year or every two years, or depending on the situation of the client. And not getting too hung up on a particular idea. And everybody deals with this. You meet with clients and they've got it in their mind that this is the, this is the solution they need and they haven't evaluated it. They're locked in and advisors can get locked into ideas and nothing like a little bit of analysis to show you how measurable the benefit actually is. And so the more you handle these, the more comfortable you get with that awareness, which, you, you know, one of the big questions is, well, should I should I riff early? And should I convert my RSPs to a riff, get a steady stream of income? There's some major positives. You know, you get to claim the pension benefit and that's, you know, $2,000 tax credit right there, et cetera. But when I start measuring the impact of strategies and the realizable benefit, I've learned that sometimes I analyze that question Sometimes I almost forget because it has a minimal impact I've seen in so many cases. Yes, it's a benefit when you understand 
I should wait till 71. I should start at 65. Heck, we should start at 60. The benefit is consistently modest, whereas some of the other strategies that the decision is very impactful and the timing is important to get right because we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars of impact over the rest of their retirement planning period. As a planner, when I'm prioritizing, you know, I want to be comprehensive, but again, like you say, you want to focus on getting the biggest bang for your buck. And if you've got a limited amount to plan, as an advisor, you want to understand where the biggest impact is. And uh, again, covering off the biggest uh, risks at the same time. Don't spend too much time on the little things. You know, you don't have to be the Martha Stewart of investment planning. That's a precious piece of advice. Uh, I really, really like it. I think there's a lot of miscommunication and, and one-off articles about, uh, you know, benefits, for example, riffing early or or even related other topics, right? But it's about what's going to drive the, the plan. And you mentioned this earlier. Uh, it's uh, a little bit of analysis to compare different scenarios, right? That, I mean, again, that's why we basically built in the software this capital and estate section at the end, because you can copy one scenario, change the withdrawals, for example, see what's the impact. If over, if, if the impact over the next 50 years is maybe $3,000 on the estate, when you're talking about millions, that's nothing. That's, a, that's, 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 a, that's basically a rounding error, right? It totally is. Totally. Especially when you know the assumptions are never going to come out as you've yeah. projected. And you have to treat your plan as, as a projection. And when those, knowing those assumptions are not going to materialize exactly there. So when you look at something and it's really close, I hesitate to even highlight it as a benefit because if it's so close, you just change one of those assumptions over the next decade or two and that closeness is eliminated. So, you know, don't get hung up on that uh, too easily. All right. I'm going to stop questions about uh, the accumulation because I think we can geek out for another hour or two about that. (laughs) (laughs) So much fun. I know, right? But a couple of questions before we wrap here. So what did you find the most difficult so far in working with advisors and clients in your role? Like what are some of the common, maybe not common mistakes, but common areas of danger where you, especially maybe let's, let's frame this question in a way that if an advisor wants to bring an expert, whether we, if they have, for example, Yvonne, great, but maybe there's uh, maybe there's some other external experts. What is important? What can go wrong? And, and what uh, what are some common mistakes advisors can make and how to... How to- mm-hmm. Anytime you want, and this principle is very true for advisors who would like their clients to refer to them, that they want to be the expert that is being invited into their clients' lives. But the same thing goes for me, which is if you if you're not clear on why the invitation is being made or the value you're you're anticipating receiving creates tons of potential for miscommunication right off the bat. And so one of the things I've noticed over time, and even for me as a planner, I I have a vision mm-hmm. of you know transforming financial lives. I have a pretty high mark I'm going for. Well, somebody just wants to get their financial affairs organized and make sure that there's going to be an orderly transition into retirement and then ultimately to their estate. Excellent. That might not be what I'm envisioning I'm being invited in for. And if I haven't been adequately prepared for that conversation, I could go off on to some issues and matters that I think are important that are not there for the client and or the advisor. So I've learned some key questions over the years, and many advisors probably use this without even thinking about it or or aversion, which is setting the tone right at the beginning. It can be as simple as, what are you hoping to get out of this? Mm-hmm. But, you know, I come in here with all kinds of ideas. I can do all kinds of things, but what are you hoping to get out of this? 
So that sets the tone. And then one of the other challenges is, you know, understanding where people are at. When I don't send a big list of 25 million data points that I want to collect, we have a questionnaire and I I almost apologize for our questionnaire and uh, don't let my boss hear me say this uh, because from my point of view, sometimes people see a questionnaire or a form and it's one more document. I'm, I'm a busy mom. You know, I get one more form from the school and, you know, it's the straw that camels back. So I'm always very respectful of people's time you're asked for this information. So try to collect the information that's needed, again, with a more focused approach so that people aren't wondering why they're doing this. Or if there's something really important, it's not getting overlooked. They understand this is about your retirement income. I got to know about your pension plans. I've got to know about your savings. I got to know about the accounts you've got elsewhere because we're focused, again, framing it just on creating tax efficiency. We're going to order these projections so that we're mapping out what you need to draw from it when I got to know what's going on with your spouse or or in the absence of a spouse, et cetera. You know, those are the things that help equip people, participate in the process and get the most out of it. Me too. I want to make this a meaningful experience in my workday and being able to collaborate effectively with all of the people involved is so important. And then the other frustration that I I still work with is how does this plan get implemented? Because I'm not going to implement it and I have to get people to use it. And the more I do this, the more I find just spending time with advisors and learning how they work before I develop a plan. You know, ultimately, I hope many years from now, I'm a way better planner for the advisors and their clients that I work with than I am today because I hope I'll learn and grow and adapt my process to get better results, better implementation, better consistency. In the meantime, I will ask as many questions as I can and be as equipped as I can through that process. But ultimately, you have to let go and turn over your work and wish people the best and know that you've done as much as you can and move on to the next opportunity to do a plan, trusting that they're going to do the best with it. They know how. Wonderful. Wow, that's a great, great response. So a couple of questions before we wrap up here. What are some of the projects that you're most excited your work right now over the next you know six twelve months. Mm. Well, I'm uh, I'm really excited to be increasing my knowledge and my expertise on cross border and international financial planning. So one of the things I like about my new role is I'm focused entirely on planning. One of my frustrations in in my role working directly with clients is. So many clients, so many differences. Uh, you know, I tried to build a client base where there was a lot of similarities, but the truth is, you know, you just you have so many differences. Being able to focus on building knowledge for uh, clients with international planning needs is exciting because I I don't know how many in our branch will have those kinds of needs, but I do know that the number is much larger across Canada. And knowing that I will be looked to as one of those resources for those clients with those very specialized needs, I'm excited about about learning about that. Plus, the future is the financial industry is evolving and borders are coming down financially, business-wise, etc. There's going to be more and more people with international exposure that you would normally not. Like how many retailers, because they have an online presence, now have international customers, international uh, revenue, international savings. Should I bring this this money back to Canada? Should I save in the U.S. because I'm earning money? 
money in the U.S.? How should I structure all of this? Those are the things I'm excited about taking to the next level. Wonderful. I already asked you for a lot of advice, but podcast is all about growing your practice. So do you have any parting words of wisdom for the listeners? Just one thing. Take your business to the next level. Don't make yourself into someone else that you're not, that you don't want to be, just because it's been pointed out to you that there's there's a lot of value in being that other person or that other kind of expert. Look at who you are, where you're at, and start envisioning the next level for you and your planning looks like. And do it. Figure it out. And just take one more step, take one more bite, and become that much better by this time next year. Wonderful piece of advice. So, Yvonne, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, how would they do that? What's the best way to reach you right now? No. Oh. <laughs> It's so funny because I'm I'm inside my organization and advisors contact me. Obviously, if you're with Raymond James and you're listening to this, you know, have a look at our retirement and financial planning webpage for our internal advisors. If you're someone from outside, you can contact me at the Calgary main branch of Raymond James and just call the switchboard and they'll they'll connect me. We can have a chat by voicemail. And yeah, it would be great to hear from you. Wonderful. Okay. Yvonne, thank you for coming on the show. I really enjoyed the conversation. I think we could continue for a couple of more hours. And But I think you shared so much advice and so much practical wisdom that a lot of advisors can get value from. So thank you for that. Oh, you're so welcome. And thank you very much for having me. That's it for this episode. If you enjoyed it, I would really appreciate if you left us a great review in iTunes because that helps us get discovered. And if you want to get in touch with us, please email podcast at snapprojections.com. Thanks, and I'll talk to you next time.